Hi, this is Nick Spencer. And this is Steve Lieber. We're the co-creators of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And you're listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello, and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gvozdin, and I'm the editor and founder of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and just a humble editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I'm, not a any, I'm anything but humble, Mark. Right, but I'm not the founder of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, although you could say I'm an inspiration for su- SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, wouldn't you say? You're an inspiration for a lot of things, Mark. There you go. <laughs> Of course, thank you all for joining us for the third episode of Amazing Spider Talk Renew Your Vows Edition. We're done three of these, Mark. I, I can't believe that this series is more than halfway over, Dan. <laughs> Me neither. Well, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and for this episode, we will be discussing, as the title implies, Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows Number 3 by Dan Slott and Adam Kubert. We'll be reviewing your comments and emails, discussing some Spidey news, and then doing a couple of surprise Flash Thompsons Flash Reviews. I can't wait, Mark. And as usual, all you listeners out there, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Last week, Mark and I took a brief vacation after our David Michelinie review. I went to the beach and didn't run into Venom, so I consider myself lucky. How about you, Mark? You have a strong weekend? Well, Dan, I'm glad that you didn't get eaten by Venom on the beach. Um, I turned 34. I had a birthday. Happy birthday, Mark. Yeah, um, that's what I did on my summer vacation, I guess. Is there some uh, lack of surprise now that you're not getting Spider-Man comics for your birthday? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny. Uh, my wife and I had this conversation about the fact that this was my first birthday uh, since the chase had been completed. Um, so it was kind of like, oh, you know, she's like, what am I getting you for your birthday this year? And I'm like, it's up to you, man. You got to figure it out now. Something <laughs> boring. Something boring. I don't know. How about a tie? well Uh, thanks everybody for sticking around and don't don't fret because we're going to have a lot more regular content coming so uh, keep checking your podcast feeds every Friday and feel free to wish Mark a happy belated birthday I guess yeah feel free but you don't have to (laughs) yeah yeah, you don't have to well Mark I I guess it's time Uh, let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows number three
All righty, Dan. Um, well, three issues in, um, we, we like to joke that um, I lose interest as, as the storyline goes along, but I have to say that I feel that this series keeps building upon itself. I, I, I think this might even be better than the second issue. Um, this is this was a very good comic. I feel it, it it's a really good mix between a compelling family drama and a, and a really good superhero story. I mean, I mean, what are your overall thoughts? Yeah, I really like this comic. I don't know if I feel like it's better than the last issue. I think it's probably on par with the last issue. Um, I think some of my complaints about that issue are still in this one, but those complaints are hugely outweighed by a st- really strong story. And I will say this first and foremost, a proactive Spider-Man Peter Parker that I haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, a proactive Spider-Man, a mature Spider-Man, uh, interesting villains. Well, we'll get to one villain that's not so interesting in a second. but uh, Or at least, you know, villains that do smart things. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, what is the series I'm reading? This doesn't seem like Spider-Man lately, right? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's like, oh, yes, this is what this can be like. Yes, I mean it's a little. I guess it's almost alarming that we're getting this now in this format, but we can deal with that later too. But uh, just to dive right in, I mean, interestingly, interestingly enough, probably the most troubling part of the comic for me was its opening, which is with Regent, who, you know, like. I'm not as down on him as the big bad as I think other people are, but I mean, this is still a pretty lackluster villain. Uh, I, I really don't understand why this was the choice. I mean, I guess for Secret Wars, they wanted to do something a little outside the box, but I, I just don't care about this character. Um, well, and, it feels and, so much like the Inheritors. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but it, that that whole demigod kind of status i mean you know why don't you just use thanos then you know what i mean like i i i i I just don't quite get it um and then we we kind of have him waxing poetic about needing to acquire uh spider-man's powers because they're they're you know better than all the others you know in terms of the other heroes that he's conquered and and you know while you know, I, I I always like it when you know Spider Man is made out to be important. Uh, you know, this this feels very forced and kind of like just there and uh, you know whatever. You know, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> it seems a lot like the kind of thing we got during Spider Verse, where everybody just talked about how important Spider Man was without like a real uh, demonstration of it. I mean, like in this issue, Spider Man does some really great things. Uh, and and argue, I would argue is more violent than perhaps we've seen Spider-Man before. Um, but uh, in this world, Regent really has no reason to think Spider-Man is like this threat or all-powerful character um, because he's been hiding away for years. If anything, he should think he's a, he's a coward. Yeah, um, which which I believe uh, the Shield characters refer to him as in this story as a, being a coward. So yeah. You know, so um, I guess we're waiting for some like he mentioned some like grand cause or th- plan or something, and I'm I'm hoping we're not going to get some weird magical mumbo jumbo that he needs Spider Man for. Magic um, crystals, Dan. Magic crystals. No, I don't want any more magic crystals. <laughs> you thought we escaped them. But, I, you know, 
it, fortunately, it was kind of a brief scene. And while, you know, it, it is kind of a red flag of what's to come, um, you know, once we kind of got away from Regent, uh, we, we walked right into, well, a scene with Spider-Man and the Tinkerer, which led into a, a showdown with the Sinister Six. And I actually really liked how this battle was staged. Um, but I, I think I think Hubert's art had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, we, 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 you know, some, some of these guys had their, their moments to shine like Doc Ock and, and Craven. Doc Ock especially was very, you know, you could tell Slot was loving writing old school Doc Ock again. Um, but he was, you know, just menacing enough where this dark turn that you referred to, this violent turn by, by Spidey kind of makes sense, you know, like the, 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 the whole vague threat of family again. And like, I, I liked how, in terms of visually, you know, Spider-Man is doing these dark and nasty things to Doc Ock, and we're not really seeing them, but we get a sense of what they are. And it's, it was always, it was very cinematic to me. Well, the, the Kubert's use of the reflection in, in Spider-Man's lenses, I thought that was a really nice touch. And, uh, and it kind of reverses. Well, you know what it does is it takes that Doc Ock cover uh, mm. and flips it. You know, that, and now a famous Ramita cover, you mean? Yeah. So you've got Doc Ock in the lens instead of Spider-Man. And, uh, and I think that was really great. Or even the, the Venom, uh, Todd McFarlane, uh, or not Todd McFarlane. Um, uh, Eric who, Larson. Yes. Eric Larson. Sorry. I was blanking there. Um, c- cover where Spider-Man is in his white eyes, like with his arms flailing, uh, it kind of flips those, and that was—I thought that was a cool visual choice. And I don't know if it was a conscious reference, but you know, it's—it's uh, uh, it's cool to see uh, some of these callbacks. Um, what did you think? Speaking of Kubert's art, the spider on the back of his costume is the um, the red and blue costume spider, the kind of like goofy kind of fat chubby spider on the back of the black costume. Do you think that was intentional? Um, I, I don't. It's hard to say what's intentional. I mean, you know, to 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 earn a no prize. I mean, you can you can explain everything away as well as an alternative world. You know, so right, everything well, that's different. <laughs> all the other we talked about this before. The other characters also have reworked costumes. Yes, um, and, um, I guess the real test would be to go back to um, those issues at the end of Spider Verse to see if the red and blue costume has the weird like white and black spider on the back. Yeah. Um, no, but it, 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 I didn't notice it, Dan. I got to be honest, which probably makes me, you know, have to give in my Spidey card. But, um, but that's a good catch on your end. I wonder what the what the deal with that is. Um, it just made me think because we talked a lot to these artists in our interviews, and they say things like they aren't given reference files to work off of, so they kind of have to go do research themselves. And uh, and finding out what the spider is on the back of that costume, you know, most shots don't show the back of the black costume because it's just blank, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could make a case that I'm not terribly wild about a lot of the character redesigns in this story. Yeah, um, like the vulture who's like half vulture, half man. Yeah, definitely. That would be one. Um, and even Doc Ock's kind of variation of his costume i mean i don't know i i i I, when i get classic doc ock i want to see like the you know the yellow the yellow and the green um but the 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 caveat to that is i really like how 
the Sinister Six are being portrayed. I mean, they're lackeys, but they're they're more than just lackeys. They're, well, they're kind of like cops. Yeah, and and they they do smart things like Mysterio using footage to determine, you know, who Spider Man might be. I thought was really clever, you know, and the fact that they were able to determine, well, he showed up at the school, so that means his kid must be at the school. I mean, like, you know, villain villains aren't normally being portrayed as this intelligent, it, it seems, in Marvel Comics. You know, I, I, I just, you know, they're they're evil and maniacal and relentless in some cases, but not not like like logically smart. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. I, you know, and one thing I think I, we can safely say about Slot is I, I always really have enjoyed his villain writing for the most part, but he typically writes a good villain. Yeah, I would say yes to that outside of the inheritors, but yeah. um, but um, yeah, no, this is and Black Cat. <laughs> <laughs> She's not a villain though, Mark. She's a hero. No. Yeah, she anti-hero. Um, but but yeah, so this was like a, you know in terms of the the. Old school superheroics. I thought the Spider-Man Sinister Six stuff was very well done, um, but you know, ultimately, what's what's elevating the story for me is is the portrayal of the family dynamic, and you know, it's just like you really kind of want to like scratch your head with Marvel, and I I, I don't want to get into the debate, Dan, of the marriage and one more day and all that because we'll be blue in the face, but. You know, this idea that it was going to be so difficult to write Peter with a wife and a child. And, and, and this story seems to be debunking that because I feel that the existence of of Annie just makes some of these scenes so much more interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that came to mind was the scene uh, with MJ and Annie where that where she's asking her mother about, what was her dad like as a superhero? And it's kind of, it, it goes from being very wistful to being very tragic and then very relatable. Like when Annie goes, did, does, did he ever lose? And MJ kind of pauses and, and, you know, you, you see the flashback to the scenes that we know by heart at this point in terms of death of Gwen, death of Captain Stacy, et cetera. Um, and then MJ is like, well, no, and, and you know, that lie that you tell your child, not only just to make the child feel better, but to make you, yourself feel better. Like, no, he doesn't lose. It's like, I, I, like as a parent, Dan, that moment really struck me at this, like, I, I was stunned by how that resonated. Yeah, Mark, I love that scene too. Uh, you know, it just feels rare. We're getting a nice tender moment between two people, between two women in in a comic, well, women uh, being a loose term, I guess here. Um, two females. Two females. Although the way Annie is drawn, sometimes I had trouble bet- uh, finding a difference between her and MJ. Um, if there's one problem that seems to be universal for these Spider-Man artists, is that they have t- a tough time drawing tiny uh, females. Um, whether it be um, Anna Maria being drawn to look like a five-year-old or uh, Annie being drawn to look like she's like MJ. In her uh, 20s. In her 20s, yeah. I mean she's like slightly younger, but there's some scenes where I'm like, like I don't know if I'm comfortable with this being like a six-year-old or whatever. Yeah. No, I agree. But like, I mean, 
you know, just again, to go back to that, that whole thing with, with the, the marriage annulment and stuff. I mean, this idea that, you know, having a child would, would be, I want to say difficult to write, but that wouldn't create drama beyond just, oh, it's a child and, and you know, Spider-Man's got to save the kid and wife. I mean, like, this is a good example. I mean, I found this to be a very compelling scene that didn't even involve Spider-Man, but it, it's a scene that can only exist between a mother and a daughter or, or, or a parent and a child, I should say. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I, I don't want to go down this, this route, but, I mean, I guess the other – the real argument is that it ages Peter – Right, right. No, I understand. I, I never understand. think about that when I'm reading these things. Right, but you know, but again, like I mean, there's this, this, this clearly something to it, you know, like in terms of there being good story possibilities, you know, and 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 you know, I, I hate to to be this way, but I mean, like the fact that these moments are coming from Slot's pen are, are really surprising me because I, I. I I didn't know if he had it in him. I, I, he 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 sometimes has a difficult time trying to get these like familial connections. I feel. Um, well, it's and, funny and, that you pointed out the whole like lying to the child um, thing because when I first read this, I was like, "Oh, that's that's an awkward moment where she lies to her child." But that comes from me not being a parent. And when I read your review talking about that moment, I was like, oh, you're right. That does make a lot of sense. Um, and it comes from my naivete about um, you know, dealing with children or having your own children and what truths you tell them. Um, and for someone like Slot who doesn't have kids, um, it's a very mature and very um, – uh, Nuanced, nuanced thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so you know, yeah. Again, hats off to Slot for that moment. Yeah, definitely. And 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 again, I mean, you know, we we we've seen other artists recreate the big famous tragic moments of Spider-Man's past, but I still I felt you know for one panel, Kubert did an admirable job, kind of fitting, you know, squeezing that all in and and kind of the the the, the way it kind of like was almost. Like kind of ethereal, ethereal in the background. Well, I don't know uh, if it's an anchor's choice um, or not, but the 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 intention when we've seen it done with Ramos's uh, flashbacks is that they're yeah. and, and these things just, they just don't ink those and leave the pencil scratches in there, and I I love that every time it's done. Um, yeah. Now um, another scene that you know kind of plays into the family that we should definitely talk about, and I kind of made this almost the central point of the review I wrote for you, Dan, and we kind of, we, it seems like we have not divergent opinions on this, but, you know, we, we kind of got different reads, was this thing at the school where, where they're scanning children for, for powers and make that, you know, so they can try and make the nab on who Spider-Man's kid might be. And, um, you know, the, Peter, Peter and Annie and, and MJ pass through the scanners undetected and you kind of breathe this sigh of relief and then immediately behind them a child sets off the alarms that has mutant powers. And, um, you know, and it, 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 it's that call back to Amazing Fantasy 15 with, you know, the burglar and, you know, what, is, what does Peter do? And... You know, I I personally thought that the that the hesitation was was played perfectly, um, which then and again was enhanced by Annie because, you know, not only it's kind of like, to me, I I read that scene as 
this is what Amazing Fantasy 15 would have looked like if Peter was being spiteful, but then Uncle Ben was standing behind him being like, and kind of looking disapprovingly at him, you know? And then he'd be like, okay, you're right. I need to do something. Um, that's kind of how I felt. Uh, Annie, you know, Annie with those kind of judging eyes and, you know, a, a, certainly a, a, a child at seven can be ju- very judgmental. Um, it, 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 to me, like that felt like the right amount of impetus to get Peter to make that very definitive decision to become Spider-Man again. And I, I agree with you. I think that's all there. Um, but for me, it didn't hit in the way that I feel like this moment should hit. Because I, I don't know if you agree with me here, but I feel like this should be the biggest moment of this series so far. Yeah. Because um, it it's the moment where Peter – decides to completely change his maybe not worldview but his approach to handling regent and and his lifestyle and his his protection of his family you know from issue 1 you know i, I know that you and i both kind of had a tough time swallowing that you know peter would kill someone you know or allow someone to die in order to save his family um, and we said, well, this is an interesting what-if story, and this is a different Peter Parker. I mean he does violent things here that is, it's tough for me to imagine Peter doing. But you know, we have to imagine him with a, a family now, um, and we've never seen him have a, a child. Um, and so I buy all that by now. Like this world has been built up for me. But like I said in the last uh, uh, episode when we discussed this this series – the fact that he's willing to throw away that entire worldview that he spent so long protecting his daughter, building these inhibitor chips or, or reprogramming them at least, um, you know, that's a really big moment, uh, you know, on the level with his realization when he figures out that the burglar was, was the one that killed his uncle, you know, because he it's a world-changing moment where he has to make a decision about from this point on, things will never be the same. And he even says it in this story. Um, and I think it's kind of a clunky moment. But yeah, a little, little too on the nose. Yeah. So I just think I would want a little more moment of hesitation. And we've seen these moments of hesitation before, right? It's that hesitation that allowed him to let the burglar go, you know, although maybe that one was more direct, you know, he's directly said, okay, fine, you can go. But when he's trapped under the rubble in issue 33, um, he practically gives up. He's like, I'm not going to be able to lift this. And it's only through his memories of uncle Ben and aunt May that he decides to have the courage to lift the rubble off of him. And we see this hesitation exploited in spectacular Spider-Man number nine, where Doc Ock tells him, you know, you hesitated, you know, uh, and you told me to stop, you know, saving the child. And he does hesitate and gets buried under the rubble again. And that was widely criticized by a lot of people. But you and I stood up for that writing. Um, yeah, definitely. You know? And so for me, just having a, a, you know an ellipsis here where it just that's the, you know, in text, I think if we had a panel of him like, with his eyes closed or maybe something less cliche than that or some kind of internal dialogue like should I or shouldn't I, I would have bought it more. But like for this giant moment to happen, I I, I can just say personally and I read it through a couple times just to be – you know, because I know that you like this so much. And I think you're right. It's all there. But I just needed just a little bit more for me at okay. least. 
That's fair. I, I, you know, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, you know, obviously, like to me, it just clicked. I don't know. And, and, and I, I, I think, I think again, it might, and I'm not trying to play the, well, I'm a parent card, but I think it might've clicked more for me because I feel having his daughter kind of staring a hole through him from behind is like, is um, even if it lasts a split second, probably feels like an eternity. Like if you, when you're being judged, when you're a parent, you're being judged by your child and your child is right. It's just like time kind of stops. And I agree, I, I, I agree I, with I, you. I, I, and, and, and I guess, again, that's why I'm like, to me, like, and, and maybe visually and, and creatively that you can't, assume that everyone knows that or not even that everyone knows that, but you can't assume everyone feels that way and they could have done it better. But I guess like for me, it was adequate because I kind of, again, it just, it was something that on a personal level resonated for me. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, um, I mean, everybody has their own interpretations. I mean, like even then I could see like, if it's the staring thing, I could see a close image of her eyes narrowing, looking at him or judging him. But yeah, maybe that would be hitting it on the, on the head with a hammer. Um, another thing though, I was thinking, you know, about why maybe it doesn't work for me is that during the great scene we just talked about with MJ and Annie in her bedroom, um, Peter isn't there for that conversation, so mm. his knowledge of what she knows about him being hero is limited, even though she has weirdly has a Spider-Man doll, which I thought <laughs> was very strange for a family that's kind of trying to hide this from her, uh, that she has a Spider-Man and, and keep it under wraps that they are superheroes, that they have a plushy Spider-Man. Yeah, um, they are very selective with that. I feel the whole series have been selective with that in terms of – what she knows and doesn't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But like if Peter was there for the moment where she like learned about how much of a hero he is, it would have like line, you know, maybe that's too pat of storytelling, like it's too clear of a Chekhov's gun. But like for me it would have again anchored this moment in something like, Oh, he knows that she thinks of him as a hero and, and maybe that's just something you assume as a father is like, Of course your kid thinks you're a hero. Um, right. Uh, I don't know. It's an interesting an interesting that we both read it differently, although I don't think that we really disagree all that much. I think it's a strong moment, but I don't think it like hits it out of the park um, right. in the That's... way that I think you do. Okay. Um, just so we don't dwell. Um, sure. and, and something that I didn't really talk about in the review, but we could certainly talk about here, was um, – the role of Shield in this series. There's some. I feel there's some interesting choices uh, being made with Shield and some mysteries being unveiled. I mean, what were your thoughts on Shield's presence here? Well, the last episode we discussed that we were like, "Where is Sandman?" And I guess we found the answer to that. Yeah, he he is in Shield. <laughs> yeah, but that's cool. Uh, yeah. I like Agent Sandman. That's that's a fun. Well, he was, twist. well, he was part of the Wild Pack, so I guess like that's a it's a and he was Avenger for like a hot moment too, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, was. Uh, um, what, who, well, let me ask you this. Do you have any theories about who the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. is? Because they're being very clear about not showing who it is. We know that there's an eye patch. Um, and maybe it is Nick Fury. But, like, if it was, I think they would show him. Unless it's just an artistic motif to keep them all in shadows. But it seems to me that they're hiding the uh, the persona of this person quite intentionally. Yeah, I mean, which leads me to to think that it's probably someone from Spider-Man's life. So, I mean, you like know, a Ben Riley or something. 
Yeah, or Uncle Ben. <laughs> that would be too much. Uh, we already got, like, Spider-Verse Uncle Ben, so we don't need any more Uncle Ben returns. I mean, who would uh, it be that could come in a later act of this? You know, um, it, it's one of those things that gives me, like, I hope Slot does a good job with it, but it gives me hesitation because I typically am not a huge fan of Slot's, like, late act reveals. Um, yeah. And I feel like we're we're waiting on like a reveal with Regent that some magical quest he's on and the reveal of this shield person. But you know, who who would be interesting for you in that role? What about Flash Thompson? Yeah, oh, that's interesting, an interesting choice. You're right. Uh you know, uh that that's a good guess. I, I was thinking like who would it be that could impart like parental wisdom on onto him? Yeah, uh, and yeah. maybe maybe Ezekiel couldn't do like parental wisdom, but he could offer some aged wisdom, or maybe it's like Richard Parker or something. I, I don't know. Uh, Are we a hundred percent confirmed that Tony Stark is dead? Uh, I think so. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that all the people we saw take on Regent one to one in the comic are dead. Okay, and we definitely saw Iron Man. I'm trying to remember. I think so, and I think on, on the double page spread in the beginning, you can see the outline of Iron Man in those figures. Because I'm also trying to think. I mean, this story, kind of like, I mean, it's it's in its own time and place, but like, I feel like it, it's it's mining elements from both like early '90s Spider-Man, but also from like. Civil War era night, uh, Spider-Man. Oh, I was thinking when reading this, like, they could get rid of Regent and just have it be a Civil War story. You know, right. have this be the story of what would happen if Aunt May was never killed. You, you know what I mean? Right, uh, right. Or if but, she was uh, killed and they've been on the run for years. Because the the idea is the same. There's some kind of registration act going on. You know, right, why not have right. it just be that? But that's – I mean that was the only reason why I was saying could Tony Stark still be alive. You know yeah, what that's I mean? Interesting. Uh, and Maybe he, he just lost an eye fighting regent. Yeah. I mean and he's certainly someone who could you know, be parental. Yeah. And he's someone who has a connection to this kind of – this story in general, you know, like a major connection obviously. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Well, I guess we'll find out in the next two issues or so. <clears throat> You bet. Um, but that was that was pretty cool. Um, I think it's some. We haven't really talked about him fighting the Sinister Six in the later acts of this, and how he like takes out the Hobgoblin in like one page. Yes, uh, uh. and then makes a joke and says, "I'm done being funny." And I was like, "Okay, like I like this development for this character because it's not." It's not saying this is the Spider-Man you've known and loved for years. And, I, and I've seen a lot of people online being like, I want this to be the story going forward. And honestly, it's really turned me off of like wanting the Spider-Marriage back because uh, we're right, getting all these right. petitions and things. I, I don't know about you, Mark. Are you getting bombarded with petitions? No, I am. And, and you know, I, to those who are listening, I, I kindly will say I, I, I really am not retweeting or favoriting them or anything like that i i you know because you know i'm not going to sign a petition unless i really think i can enact change and i don't think this will enact any kind of change but, um, but i like uh, going off that point like i i don't want this to be my spider-man going forward but i like that they acknowledge that this is a different character like he's gone dark and he's you know and and it's not just cheery spider-man anymore right well this is this is what we probably would have gotten if you know, we got 
additional stories after Back in Black, and 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 not that I'm a huge fan of Back in Black. Uh, I think that's it's a story that kind of gets a bit overrated in my in my mind. Um, but you know, you can make the argument that we were going in this direction for the character until one more day happened. But um, I like I like this a lot. I mean, like you're right. I don't know if I need this to be the Spider Man, but like. I I I think there's probably also some gravity towards it because um, it's so different from the Spider-Man and the Peter that we have been getting for the last year and a half. Yeah, kind of, this of, is a competent Peter. Yeah, you know this this man-child Peter, and I guess that's kind of where I come in. It's like why I, I would like to see more elements of this character be in the and, and maybe we'll get this with this new kind of you know. Tony Stark esque <laughs> Peter we're gonna get in 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 the fall, but um, yeah, I, I I agree with you mostly, Dan. I I'm, I'm just saying like there I, I can see why people want to see more of this because this is probably one of the better Peter stories we've had in a really long time. Yeah, let, let me ask you a question about this. Something that I was thinking about, and this might be like discussing behind the scenes a little too much. And I don't want to throw Dan Slot under the bus, especially when he's writing a story that I think is this good. Um, but I, I can't help but think that the reason this story is so strong is that he's not writing Silver Surfer alongside it. Uh, you've got, you know, as soon as he started writing Silver Surfer, I really think that the quality of the title dropped. Significantly, and here we have a Silver Surfer free Dan Slot during um, Secret Wars, and suddenly, I mean, it's night and day. The quality is back to the best of Dan Slot's time on the book. Do you think there's something to that? I mean, I don't know much about his life, but well, I mean, I think it is safe to say that Dan Slot gets it gets overwhelmed by having he's not a Bendis or or a Jonathan Hickman who can seemingly write. 30 books a month and not break a sweat. You know what I mean? Like he, he, I think having one double ship book was enough. And even when, you know, when I was at the comic con where they announced silver surfer, you know, part of his pitch to the crowd was like, you know, but I'm already doing a double ship book. What am I? And Brevoort was Tom Brevoort more or less. So mobile figure it out. And I, you know, I wonder if figuring it out was like things like, We'll do we'll do spiral or we'll do you know we'll we'll do a kind of an inventory learning to crawl type story that you can maybe hammer out in advance at a at a different kind of pace that you know we you know we're not like telling a a current story twice a month and um, we'll get Christos Gage to to co script uh, to you know to to co plot books with you and 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 those seems to be what the figuring out and I think all that figuring out did contribute the, the decline in the book um but there but there were also some very adamant decisions that i feel slot made in terms of his characterization of this new universe you know with peter post return that i don't think had anything to do with silver with him being overworked i think it just was just him misfiring on an idea yeah I, you know like so so i think there's some truth to what you're saying, but it's it's only part of the explanation. Another thing I wanted to ask, because reading this story, especially when the kid is revealed um, to have mutant powers, I couldn't help but think that this story really reads like an X-Men story 
or like a, a Wolverine story. Um, you've got this character that's kind of, you know, operating with shades of, of, of courage and, and, and some violence, but, um, you know, so much of the story is about policing genetics and, um, you know, uh, well, I'm pretty sure Regent, powers. It almost, I'm pretty sure Regent himself is an X-Men villain. I right. Think. He is. I, I almost wonder if this was a pitch that Dan Slott made for an X-Men story or had for an X-Men story that he's working Spider-Man into. Because, like, it's it's a good Spider-Man story, but it really reads to me like a great X-Men story. And there's there's too much of MJ and Annie and that dynamic. I I I, dis, I I I know what you're saying, but I think he might be borrowing characteristics from like a Wolverine or something for Peter. But this this feels like a Spider-Man story to me. I I, I don't I don't I'm not totally in that mindset with this. So um, I will refer to your judgment. Oh, you don't have to refer to anything. Speaking of judgment, Mark, do you have a grade for this issue? Yeah, I, I, I gave this book an A. This is probably the first spider book I've given an A in a very long time, Dan. Well, ch- check the records. Yeah. <laughs> probably superior, uh, the Hobgoblin superior issue was the last time I went A on something. Probably is, yeah. And what about you, Dan? I'm giving this one an A-. minus. Some of my complaints that you guys heard... Uh, lingering, but uh, yeah, I really like this book overall, complaints aside. All right. Well, speaking of complaints, why don't we get to some comments and emails? Oh, no. All right, everybody. Well, this is the part of the show where we read your comments and emails. Uh, in terms of leaving us a comment, we love your feedback uh, on our iTunes and Stitcher accounts. Uh, you know, when you get there, you rate us, you leave a comment, tell us what you think about the show, what you think about our, our discussions about comics or, or food or, or bad movies uh, that randomly come up. And uh, and we'll read them on the air, good or bad. And then also, if you want to email us, uh, that address is amazing, amazing spider talk at gmail.com. And you can also tweet at us. And when you do that, just make sure you hashtag it OK to print. And we'll, we'll talk about that on the air. Um, awesome, Mark. We have a first uh, review in a little while here. So why don't you read it for us? Yeah, we got um, from Ghost Agent K. Uh, great show. Five out of five stars. Uh, Ghost Agent K writes, great show with two people that are a pleasure to listen to. I love Spider-Man and look forward to every episode. Keep Flash coming back. Ooh. So well, we got we got a demand. <laughs> Don't worry. I think I think Flash is here to stay. Um, okay. We had a correction uh, uh, sent in to us from a, a, a listener through email from our last episode. Mark, do we want to both eat some humble pie here? Yeah, I guess we refer to the Round Robin arc as being written by David Michelinie, but it was actually Al Milgram. Um, so, uh, my bad? Yeah, and I referred to writing a book report about it, and I guess that might be the reason I failed the book report. Are you sure it wasn't just because you wrote a book report about a comic book? It's probably that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a, uh, a question to us on Twitter from uh, Dennis Mercier, who is at DW Mercier. Uh, and hashtag okay to print, and uh, he asks us, 
what are your favorite Spider-Man video games? Uh, Mark, I know you're a big video gamer. <laughs> I used to be, uh, but I, 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 you know, I honestly, since I've been married, which is we're getting on eight years now, have not played much video games. <laughs> um, so if and and oddly enough, like even with the systems that I did have, like I had PlayStation and PlayStation Two. Uh, never really had a Spider-Man game. Uh, <laughs> it just didn't happen. So um, there, there are two games that I know remember owning that stick out to me. One was like the original Game Boy Spider-Man, which I always thought was cool because I think Venom was one of the last bosses in that game. And, you know, this was like late 80s. So it's like, Venom's in a game. Yeah, it's radical. <laughs> That's um, probably exactly what the ad said. And then, yeah, then speaking of, this game is radical. Uh, I had the original Maximum Carnage on Super Nintendo with the red cartridge. And, oh, I had and, it too. I had it and, too. And that button mashing madness, and you could play as Venom, which is radical. Um, but that game also got really annoying and repetitive. But I guess since I have to pick one, I will say Maximum Carnage. That game I, is tough too. Oh, God, yeah. I think I got to one of the final levels once, but like – you know, they gave you, like, all these allies, like, oh, it's Iron Fist, oh, it's Captain America, but they never really helped you. Yeah, I don't think I ever got past, like, the third level, but I was a lot younger, th- not a lot younger than you, but younger enough that, like, if you're playing it when you're 10 and I'm 5, all that button mashing stuff was difficult for me. Yeah, yeah, and and the, and the, and the joke with Venom, which always pissed me off, was so you could select him, but if you did, you were making the game longer? Is that true? Yeah, like they added – you had extra levels that you had to do. If you just stuck with Spider-Man, it was like three less levels or something. Oh, I didn't know that. See, this is how bad at this game I was. So like you know, the the, the draw was always, oh, I'm going to find his Venom and like smash this guy's head in. And then it's like, but no, you got to do it like three more times. I actually like the sequel to that game better. better. Did you ever play Separation Anxiety? I did not. The strangest named Spider-Man game of all time. Uh, yeah, it was like you could play as Carnage and like it had all of the Carnage like uh, spawns like Toxin and oh, stuff. Dear. And it, yeah, it went real deep into the symbiote uh, craze. So. Which was the game that had like the final boss was like a symbiote possessed Doc Ock. Oh, um, I don't know. I want to say that that is a, a Spider-Man on the PS1 the like, okay. movie tie-in game, but I'm not sure. Yeah, crazy stuff. And then, of course, uh, you know, I never picked up the Spider-Man animated series SNES game. That was around the time I started to get out of SNES. Uh, but I'm sure that would have been fun because that looked, that looked like it had all the cool characters from the animated series in it. Yeah, sure. Uh, Dan, do you have a favorite? Uh, this is tough because I, I actually have played almost all of the Spider-Man games. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them, but like all the major ones I've played, um, I think my favorite is probably the ultimate Spider-Man game. I got it on GameCube, but it was also out on PlayStation two. Um, oh, I had that game. I did have that game on PlayStation two. Now that I remember, I didn't get very far in it though. It kind of frustrated me. It had some t- really tough levels. There's like a venom chase with electro. That was very difficult. I remember. Yes. Yes. Um, but I really liked the kind of free roaming style of that game and it was cartoony enough that the graphics looked halfway decent for like a low res city um but i thought that the swinging on the web was really nuanced you could like climb up the web while swinging and uh uh and the venom gta mode where you had to just 
eat people was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and it was weird because at the time it was like advertised as being – it was written by Bendis and, and being in continuity. And they had like weird kind of references to Peter's parents' death and clues about how that went down and um, like plot developments with Venom that I think – were kind of brushed aside eventually, but at the time it was like you got some extra info on the on the mysteries in the comics. Um, I think that had a lot to do with why I was kind of nonplussed by it because I remember playing this game and like some of the villains were different looking, and and I was kind of like, what is this? This isn't Spider Man. Oh I, yeah, yeah. Were you not reading Ultimate at the time? No, I I didn't read Ultimate until only a few years ago. Per your harassment. Oh, you're right. You're right. I did harass you enough about that. Yes. Um. So yeah, I I really liked that game, and I I beat every single like web challenge or whatever in it, um, which really required you to master the like swinging and th- hurling him through space. And so that was really fun. It felt like a like a, a skill that I had uh, developed. Except I couldn't beat the last race because you had to race the Human Torch from the Baxter Building like four times. And if you wanted to get the symbiote suit on Spider Man, you had to beat him like a fourth time, and it was impossible. I mean, r- just ridiculously difficult. And uh, and it made me very frustrated that I could ever do that. Um, but yeah, so that game's really good. And I also really liked. Um, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions from a year, few years back. Yeah, um, I I never played it, but I know people liked that. It. It's cool. It has different visual style for each universe, and Dan Slott wrote the story, which is not a great story, but it's you know got some witty dialogue in it, and they brought in all the different voice actors from all the different shows, and uh, I thought that was a really cool game, and um, I haven't really liked any of the games since then, but uh, that one was something special. Um, I, I'm eager to return to like a free roaming Spider-Man game that's not a movie tie-in, and um, I don't know. I, I think he deserves a cool game, but no one's ever really gotten the wall climbing uh, uh, thing down right. The camera always is funky, and I'm waiting for a real good team to get handed that game and given some money and time to really pump out a cool Spider-Man title. Yeah, I mean, not not for nothing, but is there really any good? Comic book video games. Oh, Mark, you've missed well, out. Well, I know Batman, Batman, Batman. They're but... great. Those games are some of the best games around. Right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They're few and far between, but those Batman games, I mean, you could easily imagine a Spider-Man, um, you know, in, in that style. Um, but, but there's yeah. Always, there's always, they can always do like Superman on N64 for Spider-Man. Oh, geez. Don't even get me started. I rented <laughs> Let's that. Let's through rings. <laughs> I rented that as a kid. Did you buy that game? No, no, no. I've only, I, I've actually never played it. I've only seen it and like, I just like, it looks abhorrent. That was the most de- depressing weekend of my childhood, I think. Because, <laughs> well, we, you know, we got to rent a game from Blockbuster and we're like, all oh, right, a Superman game. Let's fly through rings. <laughs> not, well, let's, let's not even – let's try to fly through rings. The controls in that game were unmanageable. It was yes. an, it was just straight from hell, that game. <laughs> All right. We got another question. And, uh, Dan, I know you're excited about this one. It's from uh, Leron Halleck. And uh, I'm just going to paraphrase this because uh, it's a, a lengthy question. But Leron is asking about um, basically – the, the the legacy of of Sp- of Spider-Man stories in terms of you know we 
we as big Spider-Man fans stand, I mean, we can rattle off the 10 best, uh, you know, relationship stories. Or, I mean, currently on the site, we're doing 10 best Fantastic Four Spider-Man team-ups. But when you look at, like, general comic book fandom and rankings and stuff, like top 100 stories lists, like, I I always think of things that, like, comics should be good or CBR. Uh, Spider-Man very rarely makes a big showing on these lists. Or um, if he does, it's Craven's uh, Last Hunt. Craven's Last Hunt and maybe Death of Gwen Stacy. Um, but um, and and even when you look at like the historic runs, I mean, you know, like we don't have. There's no Bendis or Miller Daredevil equivalent for Spider-Man or Brubaker on Winter and Captain America, you know, like there's, there's, there's that, there's no iconic story or run. And I mean, maybe ultimate Spider-Man kind of fits into that, certainly in terms of runs. But, um, what do you think about that, Dan? What's the, what's the reason for that? It's a really good question. Uh, and one that I thought about a lot, um, because we're doing this essential series, and I think most of our picks are actually kind of like one-shot stories, you know. Um, and every run of Spider-Man, you can always kind of pick a flaw in it. And if you can't, it's probably because it's a short run. Like we both love, I think, almost every issue of Stern's run. But it's not very lengthy of a run um, comparing it to someone like Miller's Daredevil which I just read for the first time this past week and a half, and is, wow, Mark. Um, thank you for that recommendation. Oh, hey, my pleasure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's because the character is so difficult to write and because the character is um, uh, upbeat, positive. I mean, he can be dark and, and disturbing, but like Craven's Last Hunt, which I, I think is why. But I think these really dramatic, dark stories, uh, it's like looking at the Academy Awards. How often does a comedy get nominated for Best Picture? You know, people remember things for the drama of death and people being put through the ringer. And that's in Spider Man. Um, but he tends to be kind of upbeat. And I think that's hard to write true dr- dramatics around that. What, do you, what are your thoughts about this, Mark? Right. Well, let me preface this by saying, and and I know this is just, you know, 11 pages of comics here, but, you know, I do think Spider-Man kind of gets a pass in the fact that he, of all the superheroes, I think has the most famous origin story. I mean, would you disagree with that? Yeah, it's the most famous and it's the best. Yes. Yeah, most, exactly. I mean, you know, like, but, um... You know, if I could be, if I'm being a little cynical for a second, I think some of it also might have to do with the fact, like you know, Batman aside, um, with a lot of these books that had these like very famous stories. I mean, these were these are characters and franchises where if these if these creators and these stories never happened, these books probably would have been canceled. Like I'm thinking in terms of Claremont on X Men or uh, Miller on Daredevil, and then Bendis on Daredevil. Um, and with Spider-Man, Spider-Man has kind of always had this popularity. And quite frankly, when the popularity did finally did start to wane in the early 2000s, they brought in Straczynski, which was a big name, you know, it was kind of a big deal that they were getting this Hollywood writer to write a comic book. I mean, that would almost, you know, if it didn't end so terribly, I mean, you would almost think that like that was the, the famous, that was the Brubaker run, you know what I mean? Like in terms of 
changing things dramatically for the character and making the character popular again. Um, so that might have something to do with it too. It's like, you know, it's almost like Marvel can get away with not always delivering an A-list product because the, the book is just going to sell and it's always going to be popular. Do you, do you think there's an element of editorial control that, you, I mean, I think you might be able to even, you could definitely see it in the Clone Saga, but maybe even in Superior, that something gets popular on Spider-Man and editorial shifts the writer's intent um, to either make it longer, shorter, you know, add in a wrinkle or two, and we get these shifting stories that, you know, Spider-Man's going to sell well, but if he's going to sell great, then good. We'll milk this for what we can. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I absolutely. And I mean, I think if you talked, you know, going back to our our David Michelinie interview, he would agree with us too. I mean, you know, like there were there were certain editors that wanted to push certain things because it sold. And you know what? It's at the end of the day, this is a sales driven business, Dan. I mean, yeah. you know, like, um, and and you know, people can talk about certain books and how beloved they are, but the fact of the matter is, they don't sell. So, I mean, you know, just because it's critically beloved doesn't mean that it's ultimately a success. Uh, I, you know, again, going back to Daredevil, I mean, that book was doomed when, until Frank Miller took it over. And even then, it took a while, but, like, he kind of he saved it. I mean, he was able to save it because the book was on the cutting block anyway, on the, you know, anyway, so they were just, all right, do whatever you want with it, you know? And that, you could say that about a lot of books. X-Men... Was was they were running reprints until they you know well Len Wein did the first new cast but then you know Claremont and 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 Cockrum took over and they created this new universe with these new characters and all of a sudden we were having things like Days of Future Past and and Dark Phoenix and and all these very fa- famous iconic stories so I you know. It's, you got to consider that as well. I almost want to say if things are really terrible in a book, like you almost have more to look forward to because they might shake it up by putting someone really talented with a lot of freedom on it. Right. I I agree. But we, we very, like I said, we very rarely have gotten that with Spider-Man. I Spider-Man mean, has never been darker than volume two. Right. Are we talking about Straczynski? No, I'm saying when it was like, you know, uh, issue one through 30, whatever. Oh, the, the Mackie Burns stuff. Yeah, I mean, that might be the dark period of Spider-Man right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you, and you can probably claim the run-up to that as well when they, before the reboot. I would say like that, that, that like post-clone malaise, you know? Like I, I think there was definitely a two, three-year period where the book was consistently declining both in terms of quality and, and and sales and that's when they needed the big shakeup and you know they shook it up and look where we are dan it's always <laughs> darkest before the dawn well i mean you can make the case that superior was a shakeup yeah it definitely was i mean like that seems to be marvel's new mo is you know every once in a while shake things up and you know people might say well we're still getting dan slot but um you know, we're getting a big shakeup, and that can lead yeah. to really great quality books. I think it did with Renew Your Vows. Yeah, definitely. So, so I don't know if that answered uh, Leron's question, but, um, you know, some speculation about that. It's something I've always been curious about. So thank you for asking. That's a great question. 
Yeah, definitely. And and hey, the beauties of being uh, a Spider-Man fan who's a, also a general comic book fan is we can still read this other stuff, Dan. Nothing is stopping us. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it's not well, like we're like, well, I'm a Spider-Man fan, so I can only read that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes my wallet dictates that. Well, you have a Marvel Unlimited. You're paying for it anyway. It so, is the best know. deal in comics. Yeah, so there you go. Um, how about some spider news, Dan? Yeah, let's do it. Well, Dan, you being on the West Coast, uh, we're we're at San Diego Comic Con last month. Uh, there was some additional spider bits that came out. What what stood out to you? Well, first of all, San Diego Comic Con was insane. I've never experienced at a con before. It's so busy and crowded, and you just feel like you're getting nowhere. But it was really fun and a great time. And uh, I hope maybe next year I can bump into some listeners there um, at the show. So, uh, you know, let me know if you're going to come next year because it will definitely influence whether I return. But there was a Spider-Man panel where a couple of things were announced and and minor things, I, I guess. Um, and some kind of details about the series coming up. But uh, I guess the first real big announcement from that panel was that we're getting a Spider-Man and Deadpool book by none other than Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, you know, we, we, we both have talked about how we enjoyed many of Joe Kelly's Spider-Man stories. But, of course, I mean, Joe Kelly, even more so than, Spider, uh, than Spider-Man, is famous for his run on Deadpool in the 90s. And, and I mean, basically... And it seems like the movie is going to mine a lot of content from Kelly's run if if the trailer is to be trusted. Yeah. Um, with some addition of four-letter words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, that, sh- that should be a lot of fun, uh, Dan. I, 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 I mean, you know, team-up books can sometimes be hit or miss, and you know, but at least the creative team behind this seems top-notch. Yeah, uh, Joe Kelly has me really excited, and uh, he was there to talk about it, and he seems really excited about it. And if you had told me Spider-Man and Deadpool, I would say, okay, maybe I'll check it out. I don't have a lot of investment in Deadpool, but with someone like Joe Kelly, that means we could get more issues like the uh, the time travel Deadpool. Yeah, issue. we need we need the Quantum Leap story, the sequel. You know, like <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so that's really exciting to me. And then we got this other book, which I've heard a lot of debate about. Um, uh, Robbie Thompson, who does um, Silk right now, if you're liking that book, and Nick Bradshaw, who used to do the uh, Wolverine and the X Men book, um, are uh, working together on a new Spidey book. What do you know about this one, Mark? Well, this. High school, right? But this isn't is. I'm still confused. Are these like flashback stories, or is this in continuity, but just a new continuity? It's in continuity. It seems to be like kind of like untold tales, um, which begs the question: like, is this going to, you know, counteract those stories? It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it seems it's an all ages book taking place in the time that. Uh, Spider-Man was – or Peter was in, in high school, um, perhaps like learning to crawl. Um, I don't know how I feel about this because of the Untold Tales thing and how great those books are. But I was going to say – I mean yeah. I mean like 
if it's going to retcon those out of existence, then no thank you. But, I mean, I, I don't have an issue with, with Marvel trying to, especially with their cinematic version of Spider-Man going to be a teenager again, you know, trying to capture that audience, kind of like what they attempted to do with Ultimate Peter and ultimately Miles as well. So, um, you know, I could be into it, but it does depend on what it ultimately impacts. Yeah, I mean, especially with Peter kind of going this uh, Iron Man route, you know, it might be fun to have that alternate title there um, of him not doing that. Um so I can kind of get both versions of Spidey that I like, or if you know, if, if I like this new version of Spidey, um, and like they've been repeatedly saying, you know, he was only in high school for thirty issues. Um, so you know, it could be fun to see that dynamic. We'll see if they like um, like retcon it so that he went to high school with Gwen and uh, and and MJ, um, <laughs> which would make me like. <laughs> a, a little frustrated, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what it's like. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed Silk for what it is. So, you know, uh, Robbie Thompson's done kind of all age comic with that book that I, I think is kind of poppy and fun. So, you know, I, I'm willing to give this one a shot. Sounds good, Dan. Anything else catch your eye from SDCC? Well, I'll just run through these. There's a couple interesting things um, that were said uh, that the the new Venom Space Night book is going to deal with a demon-cleansed Venom. Um, So it looks like Flash is going to be enjoying the Venom suit for for a little while. All right. Uh, Mary Jane is going to be a big character in the new Amazing Spider-Man series that she's going to show up in a surprising place apparently uh, as a key part of the new series. So – That'll be interesting. Will she be the Pepper Potts character um, <laughs> in this series? Um, who knows? Um, Harry Osborn is going to be coming back, which we haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah, um, I and, mean, and that's a character that I feel like they almost kind of put aside for too long. Like, I would have expected him during Goblin Nation in some form. So I'm kind of – I'm almost – I mean, I'm interested, but I'm almost uninterested by just how long they put him on ice for, you know? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. We'll see how uh, old his child is with that yeah. weird sliding scale of Normie Osborne. Yes. Um, but uh, that'll be interesting to see. He's apparently working for Parker Industries. Um, in the Spider-Man uh, a book, Just Spider-Man with Miles Morales, we're going to be dealing with the 616 version of Miles Morales as teased by Spider-Man. So that should be interesting. And this is one that kind of took me aback um, just because of how it kind of ended in the Ultimate Universe is that we're not going to see any more Ultimate Peter Parker or MJ. They're just kind of done uh, as characters. Um, How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I obviously don't have the attachment to the characters that you do. But, I mean, you know, it seems a little cheap and uncelebratory. That's for sure. Certain. Well, it's just weird because they went through the process of bringing Peter back to life and kind of giving him a happy ending with MJ, although there was that whole cliffhanger about how he came back. Um, it kind of makes the Bendish ending of his universe all the more sudden that they're now just, I guess, dead again. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> rest in peace, Ultimate Peter and MJ. I guess we knew you pretty well. Um, yeah. Um, we got uh, some yeah. we got some movie news since we last recorded, right? Yeah, um, the, we got the writers of the new Spider-Man movie were announced <laughs> to be John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. 
Um, Jonathan Francis Daly, also known as Mark. Yeah, the kid from Freaks and Geeks. I was just like had that like revelation this this evening, Dan, which just, just shows how connected I am to Hollywood and how much time flies. Uh, yeah, well, that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, they you might know them. They recently wrote and directed the Vacation movie, which might give you a little bit of pause um, because that movie was certainly not well reviewed um, uh, for its comedic chops, and they're really stressing comedy in this. But they also wrote Horrible Bosses, which I enjoyed. Yeah, that was a fun comedy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was it was a good comedy, and, and I think a recent era of bad comedy. Um, but they also did uh, the sequel to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the incredible Burt Wonderstone. So I don't know, a weird choice, I guess. I'll play wait and see on this one, obviously. Yeah, well, we'll find out, but... Uh, you know, it's a kid from Freaks and Geeks, so, uh, you know. I mean, certainly looking at Captain America 2, nobody would have suspected that those directors who had a history with uh, How uh, I Met Your How Mother, I Met Your Mother. Yeah. would go on to do something that incredible. So you never know like what the Marvel machine can get out of these people. And they, they, they also interesting was that these two, this pair was the runner-up to direct the movie. So right. they must have had a real vision that Marvel wanted to see on this film. So, you know, I, I was not there for the pitch, so I can't really judge. But, you know, I, I'm going to go into this with a little bit of hesitation because it's, it seems like these are untested guys. Or they're tested a little bit, but um, they haven't had huge successes. It seems weird to me that Marvel relaunching their most – what will likely be their most popular franchise would go with such a, um, you know – a group of writers with a mixed mixed bag here, but you never know, right? Just gotta wait and see, Dan. Yes, we'll wait and see. Well, you know what? Speaking of of uh, of judging things, let's go into our Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. And you know who this is on the other end of the microphone? I, I can smell you through the microphone and the alcohol on your breath. So I'm going to guess oh, it's Flash Thompson. You know, you with the drinking jokes. Ha, ha, ha. I took a drink. I fell asleep. I snore in the microphone. Yeah, I've been hearing the. I've been hearing your shows. I got, <laughs> I got myself one of them iPhones recently. I've been doing the downloading on the podcast thingies. I think I understand what it is. But yeah, so we're doing these reviews, and I see the first thing that we're going to do today stars Flash Thompson. But it's not me. It's like an alternative me. So what happened to me? I don't understand what's going on. I'm not entirely sure either, but I think we're going to find out. Did you read the issue, Flash? I just saw that I was on it, but I didn't. I didn't have these experiences. I, you know, I I feel like I would remember that, like you know, something about a, a plague. I, I mean, you know, we had the Spider Island incident of 2011, and you know, I I, I I vaguely remember that. I wasn't like Venom or anything. I mean, that would be weird, right? <laughs> I certainly know nothing about that. 
Um, I mean, I kicked, I kicked a few back, uh, you know. I think I turned into a spider. I came out, and I was like, ooh, the booze tastes even better as a spider. Uh, you should talk to Mark Zuckerberg about having your life fictionalized. Yeah, yeah, you know, can you get me the, can you get me the Lex Luthor kid to play me? <laughs> that would certainly be an interesting casting choice. I I think so. Uh, well, you know, I, you know who should play me in the movies, right? I think you should be played by Steve Buscemi. What? The, 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 the little the, the the guy who got hit with the with the ugly stick? Yeah, I, I think mean, he really captures your essence. Ugh. I got to go get a drink now. You go talk about fake Flash in his fake universe, all right? All right, all right. We'll put Mark back on, please. You, you, you really seem sad, Dan. What did you say to him? I said that he should be played by Steve Buscemi. Oh, man. That's going to, like, kick up the depression now. Oh, well, I man. haven't seen him. I'm just judging by his voice. We, 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 we should know what Flash looks like at this point, right? I mean... Is this pre or post car accident? (laughs) I don't know. It changes from week to week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's do Spider Island number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna count you in in a second. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Three, two, and one. Yeah, Dan. I was surprised by how much I actually enjoyed this. Uh, Marvel seems to be focusing on redeeming our good friend Flash Thompson as Agent Venom character, and I'm happy to see the character rebuilt, uh, especially since he's my house guest sometimes. Uh, Christus Gage has a good handle on what was going on with Spider Island back when it was first published, which gives this book a, a bit of added credence. Uh, the team of heroes the book follows is certainly an odd mishmash, but it does kind of give it its own little unique edge, uh, especially having the Avengers as the big bads, too, is another nice twist. Uh, Paco Diaz's art can be a little funky for me in terms of how he uh, does body proportions, but overall, I'm okay with it. Uh, the backup is we get a Spider-Girl story from the Falco and Friends, which is fine, and I'm glad this character is getting yet another revival, though, to be honest, the Spider-Island piece was more of the star of this book. So for me, it is fan club certified. Great, Mark, count me in. Three, two, one. Uh, in my opinion, I'm, I'm counting this one as the second best Spider-Man-oriented Secret Wars tie-in, though that's not really that huge of an achievement. <laughs> Uh, I'm enjoying the premise of this story, which feels like it's a straight out of the 90s with its action focus and crazy character matchups. The pace is electric fast, which is great for moving the plot along before readers ask too many questions. I'm not entirely sold on the status quo of the city, as the book kind of rushes past any real grounding. But with a story that's focused on action and gross-out spider transformations, I'm actually kind of okay with that. This is some lightweight fun and totally inessential reading, but I'm enjoying it. The uh, Spider-Girl stuff, or Spider-Woman as she's known now, it's kind of a forgettable story. And if this is the end of her story, then I don't know if this is the way to go out, other than how it went out in Spider-Verse, which I thought was a lot better. But either way, I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified. All right, Dan. Well, now, speaking of Spider-Verse, we have the Secret Wars Spider-Verse. So why don't you count me in? Not to be confused with the regular Spider-Verse Spider-Verse. <sighs> Right. All right. Let me count you in here, Mark. Three, two, one. Yeah, Dan, for me, the art for this is still so unforgivable. It's cartoony without any real style or flair, to, and which makes the lack of like body definition and clarity just – it's not quirky. It's not kitsch. It's just, it's just really not attractive-looking art to me. 
Uh, it's especially noticeable when you see the Sinister Six here and how good, or, you know, how different they look in, in Renew Your Vows. Um, the, pot, the plot, at least, is finally starting to make a little bit of sense, and we're getting that Web of Life reference that we always thought the series was going to be about. But I still feel like the writing of all these Peter Parker analogs, so to speak, is out of whack with what these original characters were in terms of Spider-Gwen and Spider-Man Noir. And there's nothing unique about this as a hook or an angle that makes this series anything more than just generally off-putting to me. So it is puny Parker. All right, count me in, Mark. Uh, three, two, one... It could be Stockholm Syndrome, but this series is growing on me. I'm not sure if it's some kind of infectious boil or not, but it's growing on me. (laughs) At least now there's some central mystery, and we're interested to know whether or not Gwen's intuition is right about Norman. Of course it will be, or there will be no conflict, but at least it's something. I like the joke with Spider-Ham being a cannibal. It's a bit dark, but it's something. Still, the art is just not the right fit for this book. A spoof of Spider-Man, maybe, but this book, not so much. I'm calling this one Puny Parker. All right. Well done, Dan. Well, you know, um, Flash is still crying in the corner, so I don't think you're going to get any disruptance from him tonight. So why don't we go into the final leg of our journey? Yeah, it's time to say goodbye. Well, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk and facebook.com slash chasingamazing because these are great places to keep up with us in between shows. We put up articles, breaking news, uh, tears, Instagram photos of Flash Thompson's tears, um, (laughs) all that fun stuff. Um, And our theme song, courtesy of Rylan Bojack, and our outro song comes from Magic. Also, special thanks again to Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friend, and Sal Buscema for our show's artwork. And don't forget to become a member of our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club and help support the continuation of our show. Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, you can always find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, where I'm currently counting down the greatest Spider-Man Fantastic Four stories. Some of them are really (laughs) niche stories that I've never heard of before. Well, I, you know, and I, I kind of appreciated this list topic because I, I thought it would lend itself to some niche stories. You know, like, I mean, I, I felt the Peter MJ one has some interesting ones on there, too, that I wouldn't normally get to write about. So, um, you know, I think this arrangement is continuing to work, and I hope you feel so, too. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I, we've gotten a lot of nice responses. If not, you could always fire me on the air. Yeah, I'll, be- do, I'll do exactly that. That would be really Maybe awkward. Maybe Flash but... Thompson fire you. Oh, that that would be. He's he's like I. He left the house. I think he's like wheeling down Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn right now. So um, good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Dan? Where? Oh, and you can find me on Twitter at chasing ASM blog. Uh, what about you, Dan? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at Dan Gavazdan or my Spider Man account at sup spider talk. Uh, and you can read my movie reviews on grindmyreels.com. Um, 
It's uh, I've been busy with writing a lot of movie reviews, so come and check it out. Uh, yeah, you know, Dan, I actually recently saw Ant Man, and uh, I don't fully really agree with your review, but that's okay. That's fine. It, uh, I've actually been rethinking about it since I wrote that review, and um, and that wasn't really an official review. It was just kind of like a Facebook status. So, oh, okay, gotcha. Um, well, it was kind of hastily written me. as I was leaving the theater. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I had a lot of fun. That was my thing. That's that's my, my 30-second review of Ant-Man. I had, a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, too. I think it's the rare Marvel film that has a good third act um, and gets better yes. in the third act. Um, yes. Agreed. Uh, Mark, um, you know, speaking of uh, Spider-Ham eating uh, pig, uh, I found myself in this strange cannibalistic cult over the weekend. And guess who I bumped into? None other than your Uncle Ben. Wow, you're not giving me any wiggle room on this story, are you, Dan? No, not at all. What was going on there? You know, I'm sure you know why he was there. I mean, I ended up there by accident. I'm certainly not a cannibal. What was Uncle Ben doing there? Well, you know, here's the thing. We, the, uh, Uncle Ben, who's alive again, for the record. He's not dead. Oh, good. He's uh, not a zombie. No, no, no. Um... You know, we we were having this conversation about Irish bacon. Oh, good. And, yeah, you know, and I was kind of denouncing it, and and he was like, ah, you know, I I bet you, I can find something that tastes worse than Irish bacon. <laughs> and I, I was like, and I was like, what are you possibly gonna find that tastes worse than Irish bacon? I mean, you you know, I'd rather eat like. You know, awful than Irish bacon, or you know, like, give me give me liver and kidneys, right? I mean, come on, it's not even bacon. And he's like, oh, let me let me let me go do some research. Um, and I, I guess he went to the cannibalistic cult, uh, gave it a whirl, and he came back. He said, no, you know, human flesh not worse than Irish bacon. But you know what I did learn? I'm like, what? He's like, with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. 